Your life is your curriculum. You don't have to study books. Just be in your life and do the best you can. And you will be forced into soul lessons. It's time to create a life that's better than your dreams with the I Heart My Life show. I'm Emily Williams, the founder of I Heart My Life and your I Heart My Life show host. This is your one-stop shop for all things personal development meets lifestyle. So pull up a seat, get out a pen and a paper and get ready to learn. Welcome to the I Heart My Life show, Ashley. I'm so excited to have you here and have this beautiful conversation. I know it's going to impact a lot of people. So welcome, and I'd love to have you introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Emily. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Ashley Turner, and I am a longtime yoga meditation teacher. I've been teaching for 22 years, and I'm also a licensed psychotherapist, and I've been in private clinical practice for over a decade, and my work is really the integration of yoga, meditation, breath work with classical you know, mental health, psychology. So I primarily teach professionals, both yoga meditation professionals, how to incorporate more psychological components and psychological work and exercises. And then I teach mental health professionals how to incorporate yoga, breath work, and meditation interventions. And I have an online streaming studio for the, just the person that wants to practice yoga meditation and the founder of the Center for Yoga Psychology. So we have several different training programs and courses, trauma-informed yoga, a 300-hour yoga teacher training, yoga for relationships, the yoga business of yoga that we offer. And yeah, it's thrilling. It's a really exciting emerging field and it's growing very fast. Wow. Love it. So take us back because obviously all of those creations don't happen overnight. And like you said, you've been doing this for a while. So what led you down this path? I think for me, luckily, I always had the impetus to follow my heart. And luckily, I had parents that really supported that even way early. So I grew up in central Illinois, Midwesterner, and I knew I wanted to get out. I I loved growing up there and I loved my family was so close and amazing. But I came out to California to go to school. I went to USC, University of Southern California in Los Angeles, and I couldn't wait to get out here. I had sort of a love-hate relationship with college. I never really fit in. I had a pretty intense experience of rejection in college right off the bat and really was a deep core wound for me of rejection and feeling alone and, and sort of out of the fold and never really finding my my crew. And shortly after I finished college, I found yoga. Luckily, I met a friend who was really into yoga and he introduced me to it. And it started to change my life. And I don't think at the time I knew that I really was depressed and I had suffered these rejections that really dropped my self-esteem. I sort of had like this idyllic 18 years. And then as soon as I got to college, the bottom dropped out and my sense of self, I really lost my sense of self and my center and my confidence. And so then after college, when I found yoga, it started to rebuild that. It really naturally started to heal me from the inside out. Again, I was just thinking I was doing a workout and I was always a really spiritual person. So it made sense to me, but I got really curious about and passionate about why and how this practice was changing me, was healing me. I felt better. It was kind of like, I knew that if I just went to yoga class, I would be okay that day. And 
eventually I started teaching in the first few years of my practice, I realized I wanted to start teaching. And as I started teaching, I started seeing these same kind of breakthroughs with my students. And then I wanted to really understand how to help them, quote, take their yoga off the mat and apply even more particular skills. And so I decided I want to go back to school and get my master's in psychology, become a licensed psychotherapist, and then weave these two vast studies together. And yoga really is a psychology. Anyway, yoga is a study of the soul. It's a study of how do we optimize living this human life, this body? How do we master our minds and emotions? And the practices are timeless. The practices are proven. And luckily now science is actually proving the benefit, whether it's breath work or meditation or asana practice. So that's what I devoted my life to, this integration of these two studies. And it's been fascinating. And it's been actually a really, you know, when I was writing my master's thesis, I wrote my master's thesis on the subject of integration between the two. And when I was doing all my research, this was about 15 years ago, I could really only find scientific research on mindfulness. And there was a lot coming out of Boston, John Kabat-Zinn and real studies on brain waves and the material shifts in the brain that happen with meditation. And so I was really curious, like, where's the research about yoga and breath? And so now 15 years later, we're starting to see a real shift with that. And so it's really exciting. It's definitely an emerging field. A lot, of course, coming out with trauma resolution and the importance of breath work or somatic, you know, working in nonlinear ways to expand the interventions that are so effective. I love that. And yeah, thank you for sharing that. And one of the things that stands out for me is just this realization that you were depressed and that there were a lot of things from starting university and going through that that experience. Was it a bullying experience or what um, was it? No, it was pretty simple. I just, I came from the Midwest. You're from there too. I just knew like the big 10 and like you go to school, you get in a sorority, you go to football games, you know, it's like, that was my model of college. And I got to USC and I was almost universally rejected from every sorority. And so within the week before school even started, I was sort of cast out and all my friends had got into all these sororities and I was sitting there like, Oh my God, what do I do? And so not only did I feel super rejected because nobody wanted me um, on one level, I also felt really isolated because everybody else was now with all these different, you know, friend groups. And I was really left out and ashamed. I think it was the first time I experienced like real shame. I remember actually thinking, which is hilarious looking back, but I remember actually walking down the quad, there's a big walkway and thinking that people were looking at me laughing like, Oh, she didn't get into any sorority and Oh, we just rejected her. And you know, nobody thought a second thing about it. They didn't even know, you know, I just fell through the cracks. So, but it was a really, and then I actually did it again the second year. I was like, Oh, I'm going to go back. Oh, it's better. Now I have friends and all the stories and it happened again. So it was really a spiritual awakening. And it was really, a, you know, obviously it was meant to happen that way. So at the time I couldn't fathom, I couldn't understand it. And so it happened again the next year. And it just really pulled the rug out from under me because I had always had, you know, I've been really popular and school was effortless for me. And so to not have that experience and feel like an outsider, it's a great experience actually, because it's very character building. But at 18, it was dramatic. And then I was drinking to, you know, self-medicate and partying and all of the things. 
And I don't think I really realized until I got out of college that I was actually depressed and had a lot of emotions to reconcile and heal. And it wasn't until I found yoga that I really started to heal. It essentially was a big wound, a core wound of the feminine, you know, feeling that I was rejected by friends and women. And so I realized later that I had avoided then good friendships with women for many years. And it wasn't until I found in our, our yoga world really began to heal my relationships with women. So that was, that was the nutshell of it. Yeah, that's huge. And I think so many of us have experiences like that where, yes, we know it's a big deal at the time, but we don't necessarily recognize this is creating trauma or this is creating something that I need to look at in order to move on or get stronger or create some sort of result. So I'm curious to know what were some of the things, I mean, you mentioned them in passing, but going a little bit deeper, what were some of the things that you did to help resolve that and heal that wound? Well, it's interesting because, you know, you and I are in a mastermind together, which we're so blessed to have these incredible women that we're circling with every month and a couple of times a year together. And even now I've noticed that like in that group, anytime I'm in a group of women that are successful that I want to be a part of essentially that I want to be accepted by, I can feel that trigger that like, Oh, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not successful, creative, whatever. And so it still comes up. And so I think it's important to reframe, you know, these traumas that sometimes it's not like they're just gone one and done. And, Oh, you did this therapy or this thing. And and then it's gone forever. I think a lot of times it's changing our relationship to it, you know, and really understanding the wisdom that we can glean from it, the compassion, self-compassion. One of my teachers, my great teachers, Mona Miller would always say the goal is to move from judgment to understanding. So how do I move from judging myself maybe for having that trigger to really understand and have compassion for why that might be here. But to answer your question, Certainly therapy, you know, working with my teacher, Mona Miller, working with several other therapists, yoga really did offer many, many tools to heal those core wounds. Number one, reclaiming my relationship with my body. You know, I think I had a lot of, I mean, I don't think I know I had a lot of body shame and feeling like I wasn't thin enough or pretty enough or, um, so being in the body and practicing and, and having this practice that really helps us to unfurl the magic that is this blessed gift of life and this vessel of human life, the body. And most of us as women living in the Western world have been subject to the beauty myth and subject to a patriarchal culture that it's an epidemic. You know, having body shame and um, insecurity is pretty much an epidemic. I don't want to say it's 100% universal, but I don't know that I've met a woman yet that hasn't experienced some version of that. So the practices of yoga that help us to heal our relationship to our body and befriend our body, right? Instead of seeing it as an enemy or something we need to control or minimize, that was huge. Also the community aspect, really being in loving, supportive, inspiring community began to heal me relationally with being around people that accepted me unconditionally and challenged me to rise up and be my best and encouraged me, that was another piece that was huge. And then of course, meditation and mindset work and really working with shadow work, which is a pillar of my work to address and understand what are the unconscious 
limiting beliefs or false narratives, core wounds that only I can heal. You know, there's a lot of things that we can only address ourselves at the end of the day, it's you and you. And so it's how do we take care of ourselves and really tend to those places that have been hurt or are vulnerable and have compassion for that and learn how, you know, each of us are so different. We all have to learn the tools that are going to work for us. You know, there's no one right way. And what would you say to anyone who maybe they've experienced yoga in the traditional sense? And when I say traditional, (laughs) probably not the right use of words, but they're going to a class, like you said, for fitness, they want to get in shape. That's really the extent of the desire there. But there's so many different levels, as you're describing, and so many deep ways to use it to transform. What would you say to somebody who hasn't yet experienced that? Like, is there a certain type of yoga that helps you tap into that? Or what are some of the first steps besides just going to a class? It's a great question. And the first thing I'll say, which one of my great teachers, Brian Kest, always said, yoga is yoga. And so even if you're just going to core power yoga or hop yoga or, you know, i grew up teaching power yoga, which we still wove in a lot of spirituality, but people came to power yoga to get a kick-ass workout. So even if you're just going for all of that, or you just show up in studios that offer that or online, the yoga is still going to work to open up the pathways of the energetic body, the physical body, including the psyche. The map of yoga is that we have five layers of self. We have the physical human body, tissues of the body, the energetic, the pranic body, and we could call the nervous system as well, the mental emotional realm, the wisdom body, and then the spiritual body. And so they're all inseparable. They're all interconnected. They're like clockwork. So if you're addressing one level, it will have an effect on, you know, if you're just addressing the physical level and you're working to get fit and strong and flexible, it will have an effect on your mental health and your energetic capacity. Uh, so that's number one. I think that the yoga will do its work, whether you realize it or not. And I think that happens for a lot of people. They just think they're going for that. And then all of a sudden they start asking different questions or different things aren't interesting to them anymore. They don't fit, you know, because we become more in touch with our bodies and what feels good and what's aligned and our choices are impacted. We make different choices, whether it's friendships or the food we eat or the places we go and hang out. So I think the yoga will do its work regardless. But if you know that you really do want to be on this multidimensional, holistic healing journey, there are a lot of teachers who don't teach yoga that way. And number one is to be with a teacher that emphasizes the breath, because the breath is the link between the physical and mental, emotional, spiritual bodies. So using ujjayi breath when you're practicing and really becoming skillful and strengthening your capacity in breathing is going to help. We could talk about the vagus nerve, toning the vagus nerve, regulating the nervous system, social emotional regulation, all comes down to the breath. And that's what starts to impact our bodies and our minds very positively. So you want to seek a teacher that is at the very least emphasizing the breath during the practice and teaching you how to breathe in an aligned rhythmic way during the practice. The breath is a priority. And then number two is to take it a step further, choose teachers that are teaching the holistic practices, whether it's adding in mantra, really sitting in meditation, the last couple minutes of practice, maybe weaving in philosophy, psychology, some spiritual tools, 
there are many, many teachers out there who teach from that orientation. And if you know that you're interested in exploring yoga in, in a multidimensional way, definitely seek teachers that do that. And, and not all do, and that's fine. But I certainly highly advise really advocating for yourself and seeking out people that you resonate with. And um, again, it's going to be different for everyone. You know, don't be afraid to go to 10, 20 different teachers until you find someone that really resonates. And it, like anything, it takes that kind of exploration. Yeah. And I love you the first point that you made. Um, I completely resonate with that. When I was back in college, I found this incredible hot power yoga class. And it was like this woman who had literally just started, but she had this cult following. And there were probably like 40 of us smashed into this room. And it was like super sweaty and active. And I'm always, you know, just like you, the achiever. And so I like want to be the best and do all the moves. Then I took a few years off. And when I went back to a similar class, I couldn't do as much. And so it was such a lesson in surrender for me because I learned that I didn't have to push my body and I didn't have to use it just for the exercise or for really to feed my own ego about how good I am. I could use it to actually slow down and to listen to my body and to recognize I don't have to push. And that was huge for me. Like, And so now when I attend a yoga class, there isn't some aspiration in my mind that I'm set on. It's like, what do I need in this moment? What is going to fuel me? And for me, like that was just being present and, and allowing myself to have that experience was a huge shift. Yeah. And all of these practices and lessons that we learn, I mean, that's such a great one that you don't have to push yourself to really listen to your body. You know, that's what we experience on the mat, but it immediately trans starts to translate into our life. So what does it mean to really listen to our bodies in life, to really listen to your truth and follow your instincts and your intuition and the barometer? And that's what I talk about, the barometer for your breath. If you can't do a pose without clenching your jaw or cutting off your breath, then it means like the breath is the barometer of what we do in the practice. As long as you can maintain that open and free breath, you're practicing yoga, you know, and as soon as it gets clenched or compressed, it's an indication to back off a little bit. So we apply that in our lives. You know, where do we really thrive? Where can we expand? Where do we feel better in our lives? And then making those choices, deducting from there. Do you want to up-level every area of your life? Do you want to achieve more success, joy, and abundance? If so, head on over to iheartmylife.com slash go and check out everything we have going on to support you in creating a life that's better than your dreams. It's so interesting to have this conversation because I'm thinking back to my own experience as well with entrepreneurship because before I knew what type of business I wanted to build, I actually started to explore different options. And one was speaking to that yoga teacher about starting a yoga studio. And I was living in London at the time and Lululemon had literally just come over and they had a couple of showrooms. And so it was really like hot yoga and that whole world was starting to pick up speed. So I was talking to her about her studio and I was like, you know, what is your experience? How do you feel about owning this business? And she was telling me sometimes she had to clean the bathrooms when her staff didn't come in or sometimes she'd have to teach a class when someone called off sick. And hearing that, I was like, okay, well, number one, I don't want to be on, like set on a fixed location in terms of a building. Number two, that stuff doesn't sound very good. So I immediately ruled that out. But I'm curious to know, how did you decide to move forward? I'm not saying you have a studio, but how did you decide to move forward as an entrepreneur in the yoga space and really go from somebody who 
used it personally and used it for transformation to deciding to make it your career and your passion and impact other people through that medium? It's a great question. I love that question, Emily. And I think it's one of those pivotal moments where it was a choiceless choice. And it really was a calling from my soul. I talk a lot about soul. My 300 hour teacher training is called yoga, psyche, soul. And for me, the soul is really the center of what we're doing here. You know, we're on a soul's journey. We know that we come into this life and we're going to leave this life with nothing. We come into this life with nothing. We come in on the breath. It's the soul's experience and we leave on the breath and we're not taking any of this with us. So For me, the currency of life is really consciousness. And we're here to expand our consciousness and help others do the same, you know, be in service. And it was as simple as that. You know, it really was a soul's calling, my dharma. And that's what dharma means is that you're living in accordance with your own soul's passion and your particular talents and gifts. And so that's how I started teaching yoga. And then it also pivoted when I decided to pursue psychology as well. And I also realized, you know, I was teaching five days a week at Santa Monica Power Yoga with Brian Kest and realizing like, I don't want to be in this room with like 60 sweaty people barefoot walking around for 20 classes a week when I'm 60 years old. Like that's not sustainable. And how do I start to scale this business? And so for me, I was always really interested in scaling. I was never interested in just being in the yoga room and also saw that the therapy, you know, really dovetailed and they work so well. And it's also a big piece of, you know, my talents and gifts and passions with the therapy and with helping people again, explore consciousness from several different angles and then putting it together and being able to really begin to build into an online program and online courses and different offerings like that. And in the meantime, I've also become very passionate about helping wellness entrepreneurs, yoga, particularly yoga, mental health entrepreneurs to build their businesses. And I think that it's a challenging niche, I'm going to say, because I think a lot of mental health and yoga professionals, and I can say this for myself too, you know, are more right-brained, more empathics, HSP, highly sensitive people, And perhaps not as skilled in the left brain linear world of business and entrepreneurship. And so it really is a whole other level of skill building of really weaving the yin and the yang that and that's what I teach a lot of my students that you really have to, you know, yoga is all about the yin and the yang and yoking the two hemispheres together, whether that's body mind, whether that's feminine, masculine, breath and body. And it's the same in our psyche, the same challenges that arise with entrepreneurship of having to look at those places where we're not as skillful and it's deep shadow work. That's why I say, you know, as an entrepreneur, we have to be doing our own work. I love this quote that Anthony Robbins has, Tony Robbins has, that the success of any business depends on the psychology of its leader. It's become one of my mantras, like the success of any business depends on the psychology of its leader, that we have to be doing our inner work. If we're going to grow, if we're going to expand, it means that we have to really do that mindset work, mental, emotional clearing work. And so that's how it's kind of evolved from just yoga to adding in the psychology to um, focusing on scaling in an online course, and now also focusing on really helping entrepreneurs. 
And it's really been very intuitively driven and, and a lot of listening. And you know how that is as an entrepreneur, we're always iterating and shifting and changing. And I'm also going through a big shift right now myself, you know, to be, to be totally honest, um, really questioning what's the next phase of my business. What does that look like? Who do I really want to serve going forward? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned moving through some of those feelings of being rejected and not being good enough from college. And I'm curious to know what other sort of limiting beliefs or shadow work did you have to do as you stepped into entrepreneurship or do you continue to do? Yeah. I mean, I think a big one for many of us is the money mindset, you know, and luckily my father was an entrepreneur. I think yours is as well. And so I always had that. He was a lawyer, but he had his own law firm and, you know, several other endeavors that he was always working on. And so I saw that model. I grew up with that. Like he worked for himself. He could set his own hours. We could go vacation when we wanted. And there's pros and cons of that. I am certainly not advocating that everyone become an entrepreneur because I think it takes a very specific kind of typology to really do that successfully. It's it's a lot of risk mitigation and management, and it's not easy. It's really not an easy path. But I had that model and... So that was a blessing because he was in that sense, somewhat unconventional and bold and confident. And I just knew before I was teaching yoga, after I graduated college, I was acting for about five years in Los Angeles, which so many people, right, come to Los Angeles and do acting. And, you know, it takes a lot of self initiative and self possession, I think, for anyone to pursue to really say, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to pursue my goals. I'm not just going to, you know, I'm going to go the road less traveled. But what I realized, I would say maybe the first five years into my teaching was that I really had to take the financial piece seriously. And I think I sort of maybe had rose colored glasses on or was just thinking like it's going to all happen. And I have to watch that tendency in myself and really step up into the CEO and leadership and financial, really financial education, because I hadn't ever worked at a corporation. I never had to, I never even was taught how to create a P&L. You know, I figured it out only in the last 10 years, you know, so it's kind of ironic, but the money mindset work and that piece is huge. And I, for me, it's ongoing, you know, because I, I love one of my teachers, Kelly Roche says that, you know, you can, you think it's just about making more money, but as soon as you make more money, if you don't have your ship really tight, you're just going to be spending more money. And then all of a sudden you're, you're really not that profitable, but you might make more money. And so, you know, that's a piece for me about really always tracking profitability and tracking my expenses. I am, it's, it's a huge, you know, not my genius zone, all the number stuff of like cash flow projections. And, um, and so it's, it's an arduous process for me. And you also have to make sure then of course you have the right people in place that they can help you do that. You know, it's not like you have to take on every single thing, but the money piece for sure, taking the entrepreneurship really, really seriously. And then the other piece of it for me, I think is the leadership in some ways I'm a really natural leader, but in terms of running a team, I've realized that, you know, I get to see where all my shadow is and all my stuff comes up where the patterns that I'm actually creating in the interpersonal relationships. So taking responsibility 
leading by example, you know, always, always for any entrepreneur, for anyone, but any entrepreneur, you know, you have to be invested in your own growth. I realize that I have to always be studying with a coach or doing therapy or in a program or a mastermind and really diligently sharpening my skills, my tools and my mindset um, because I am the leader and it is up to me. And so, you know, it's an ongoing process. I think it's just important to bake in time, money, energy, like every year you have it scheduled out and you know who you're studying with, what courses you need to take, you know, what's your next step to evolve. And that's twofold. It's both on sharpening your skill as the expert, whatever your field is, coaching or, you know, massage there, whatever your actual art is. But then it's also on strengthening those tools as an entrepreneur and a business owner as well. Yeah. And thank you so much for your vulnerability. I know a lot of people can relate to that, having to move through, you know, having that like choiceless choice of knowing that this is meant for you, but also knowing there's a lot of learning curves that come with it and come with every single up level. It's not like it's one and done. It's a process. And like you said, if we're constantly growing, that means we're going to be pivoting. Things are going to be changing. We're going to be checking in to see if it's still aligned. And then that can open up a whole nother can of worms. So it really is a lot. And it's like running a business. Somebody told me it's the best personal development course you can do. And it's true. And then add team into that. Relationships are always shining light on where our growth edges are. And that, you know, creates even more growth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, I, it definitely, I love that, that business is the best personal development course you'll ever take. I 100% agree with that. There's definitely times where uh, many times over the years where I felt like, you know, both of my sisters, brother-in-laws, you know, they just sort of went a really beautiful, but standard route of working at corporations and finance at Google, Facebook, whatever. And there are many times where I'm like, I wish I could have just done that. Like, I wish I had that bone in my body, but I just don't, I don't know if I'm too much of a rebel, if I'm, I don't like to be in controlled environments. Like, I don't know. It's all of it, but there's a lot of benefit to that too, you know, but entrepreneurship is, is a unique challenge for sure. Yeah. Especially being pregnant. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Like there's pros and cons to everything, but sometimes I'm like, it'd be really nice just for somebody to give me maternity leave and just give me three or six months or however much it is. I know I don't even have to check in. (laughs) But when you're running your own business, like it's a whole different mindset and, you know, there's a level of responsibility there. And it is interesting to, when you go down to that, that path of like starting to compare, you really need to bring yourself back because there are pros and cons to everything. Yeah, exactly. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the motherhood piece. Um, Cause I love your fertility journey and I've spoken openly about how, I always knew I wanted kids, but I wasn't sure I wanted to be pregnant. And you've actually kind of been firsthand or you've, you've seen this whole thing play out firsthand because we've been in a mastermind together. Um, but once I made the decision that I did want to be pregnant, it happened very quickly. Um, now, I know your journey is a little bit different, but still like the... Well, I'll let, I'll let you tell it, but there's so much magic in your experience as well. And I wanted to bring this up because I know a lot of people are listening and want to understand how to create 
some sort of result. And I don't like talking about children as a result, but I do believe that the mindset work I've done and the healing I've done and a lot of the, you know, eight years of study that I've done has contributed to my experience um, with pregnancy. So I'd love to know a little bit more about your journey and have you share if you're willing to be, to be open with it. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for asking. Well, I had a in many ways, a very challenging fertility journey. There are certainly people that have had worse, but I knew from the beginning, I always wanted to have a family. You know, I I'd always dreamed of probably three kids and I will have one child who's amazing and she's a total angel baby. But um, I just always knew I wanted to have a family and get married and, and have this house of kids. And that's what I knew growing up, growing up and I loved it. And here I was pursuing my dharma and my career. And I was still very intentional about wanting to have a family. It wasn't like I ignored it or put it off. I was also deeply, you know, pursuing that as well. And I just never found the partner for me. And I dated many amazing men. It wasn't like I was in, you know, bad relationships or anything. And it just, I didn't find the right partner. And then I found a partner that, was a really good fit at 35, but he wasn't quite ready to have. He was pretty ambivalent about having kids. We stayed together for several years. We broke up because he wasn't ready to have a baby. We got back together because he thought he was. You know, that's a pretty classic story. And luckily, I froze my eggs during that time. I said, well, if you're not ready to have a child, then I want to freeze my eggs. And so he helped me do that, which was such a blessing. And then I finally had to break up with him after five years because he still wasn't ready to, you know, we did several steps, but at the end of the day, he wasn't ready to take a big fertility journey. So I broke up at 40 years old and I came back to LA. I had been living in Aspen with him and, and I knew at that moment, it was a pivotal moment. And I knew that I really wanted to have a child with someone, but if I needed to do it on my own, I would. And so I really sent a clear call. I got so crystal clear with the universe and said, okay, spirit, I'm going to give you one last chance. You know, I'd rather do this. And I would like for this, you know, baby to have a father and be in partnership. So I'm going to come back. I'll get it. I'll do online dating and, and really put it out there. So I wrote this really clear uh, online dating profile. And it was so, I, I thought I saved it and I'm so bummed because I cannot find the screenshot, but it was pretty epic because I wanted to like share it with people because it worked. Um, but I wrote like, if you don't want to have a child and probably get married in the very near future, we are not a match. If you don't see relationship as a vehicle for consciousness or know what I'm talking about, we are not a match. You know, I just went down the line and was like crystal clear about what I wanted, what my expectations were and non-negotiables. And it was pretty fierce. But I knew like, I'm only calling in one person. I'm only calling in that one person that that's what they're looking for. And they're up for this. So as it turns out, I got, you know, I, I dated a couple guys, one, one in particular, and, and then he was, he was great, but he wasn't quite ready. And then within six months, I met my partner, Aaron, and on the app and he, it was OkCupid, by the way, if anyone wants to know, because I chose OkCupid because there was a really in-depth profile. It wasn't just a short little bio. It was like you could answer all these questions. And I also did my own, you know, reconnaissance where if they didn't, if they hadn't filled out their profile, I was like, well, they're not really serious about finding an aligned partner because they're just kind of, you know, 
throwing up some, uh, answering a few questions. Like if they didn't have a lot of the questions answered in depth, I wasn't even interested and they didn't have like a lot of different pictures and et cetera. So I like that because it gave me a lot more, a greater breadth to understand who these people are. Anyway, I wrote my profile. It was up there and Aaron contacted me and he actually told me later that he read my profile and then he was like, Oh my God, she's serious. Like I'm going to, so he went back to his profile and boosted it up and edited it up. And then he reached out to me and we hit it off immediately. We had a couple, you know, mutual friends. So that kind of expedited it. And then on our third date, you know, he just declared, he was like, I'm going to knock you up. That's why we came together. We're going to have a baby together. And we hadn't even kissed at that point. So it was pretty karmic like that, but I definitely called it in and I was extraordinarily intentional with it. So then I was finally ready to start getting pregnant. I mean, we had several, we had a couple years of other things. Um, you know, my father got sick and passed away and, you know, there were some other things personally that we were going through. And so finally, when we were ready to really pursue getting pregnant, you know, it wasn't happening. I was definitely older. I was in my early forties. And so we had to, you know, start pursuing other options and, IUIs. And then finally we unfroze the eggs. And when we unfroze the eggs, we ended up with one embryo that passed genetic testing and which is our daughter. And she made it through and it was an incredible process. But in that process, because we were together several years before we even got pregnant um, and we're on that journey, there were so many obstacles that kept coming up and kept preventing it. Like he said he was ready to have a baby. Then he pulled back and said he wasn't because he was getting his MBA and that was another delay. And then by the time he finally came around, my father was diagnosed with cancer. So then I was on that journey for a couple of years and didn't want to pursue the fertility during that. And um, so it was just a, a massive, arduous and pretty, it was an exhausting journey and psychologically and emotionally because I prayed so hard for so many years and I know so many of you listening can relate. And at the end, I really had to let go at so many times along the way. I really had to, I'm not talking about just like imagining letting go. I'm talking about like on my knees (laughs) in the deepest weeping part of myself. Like I may not be a mother in this lifetime. And I know there are, many women and men, people listening that want, you know, parenthood in that way. I have many dear friends that have had this experience. And we I really had to reconcile with the fact that spirit has a plan, and it is often not aligned with the plan that we think we want. And I really had to reconcile the potential of not being a mother of being a single mother doing it alone, And every time I came to that place, I was confronted with, of course, my attachments and did some very deep inner work at many different pivotal moments to release that and get and become at peace with the fact that if this doesn't happen, I will be okay, you know, and I will know that I have done everything I can in the highest integrity to create this and it's not my will, it's thy will be done. And that is not an easy thing to do. It's, I think, perhaps the hardest thing on this planet in human life to do. And so 
you know, the, there's so many benefits to that journey. It's kind of one of those things people say, and you know, I don't believe in spiritually bypassing. I think that's a big shadow of the spiritual community of just kind of like, Oh, it's all meant to be, you know, I don't, it's not quite that simple to me because I know a lot of people that have had excruciating losses and pain around fertility and of course other things, but it forces us to really turn inward and build muscles that we wouldn't have otherwise. You know, I certainly will never take a moment for granted with my daughter. I'm just every single day, you know, so pouring love onto her because she was so wanted and dreamed of and called in for over two decades. It was my singular focus. So it's incredibly challenging. And I I don't want to minimize that for people that have gone through that and may not have that, um, may not have things turn out the way they want. You know, it sucks. Life is not fair. You know, life is really not fair. But yeah, I mean, I think the only option is to move through whatever version of life isn't fair. We've all experienced some version of that in the most conscious way and use and what I call, which actually my teacher Ramdas calls using your life as your curriculum. Your life is your curriculum. You don't have to study books. Just be in your life and do the best you can. And you will be forced into soul lessons. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing that so honestly and openly. And I think, you know, the piece that really stands out for me that's been part of my journey this year is practicing the non-attachment. Because if we're so attached to something happening or not happening, you know, especially the not happening piece, like that's actually what we're focused on and our energy is going towards not happening. And it's almost like in the surrender, you, you know, you can put out there what you want, like you said, like make a clear request, (laughs) be very obvious about the desire, but then to go to that place of surrender and non-attachment, like that's really the work. And that's like where the freedom lies as well. Because if we're so fixated on one thing happening, that's absolutely not true freedom. But when we're talking about a human life and a desire so strong, that's one of the hardest things in the world that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, it's a little annoying to share this story because so many people said this to me along the way. And I was like, you know, I can't even hear one more of those, but Aaron, you know, we, like I said, he really claimed it on the third date and was ready to have a baby. And then, you know, he did his MBA program and he wasn't ready for numerous reasons. And we were kind of in that, you know, hemming and hawing for like a year and a half. And then I finally cut the cord. I was like, okay, I'm done. I had this with my last boyfriend. I'm not repeating this pattern. So I got so crystal clear and fully let him go. Wasn't talking to him, you know, actually started falling in love with someone else, like really went into the woods, you know, did some big practices, got, you know, weeping, like really got to my core and was like, okay, I'm going to go do this on my own. Like I'm going to go have a baby on my own. I'm going to figure out where I need to move that's less expensive or bring my mom or whatever it's going to take. I'm done. I'm not doing that. That's not what I want. So I'm going to do this. And I really claimed it and I really started pursuing it. And within a month or two, you know, Aaron came right back around and was like, I want to be with you. I'm crazy. I want to have a child. Let's go right now. Let's start the fertility journey. So it was that moment of me completely letting go of him and completely setting him free and being like, okay, I'm done. We're not talking done, you know, with love. I love him. He's amazing. But 
And that was the moment that he realized like, oh, she is gone. That's it. Okay. And that, and cutting those cords, you know, like really cutting it, which is different than like hoping over here on the side, like really energetically getting right with yourself and with spirit. It does create freedom. It creates energetic freedom, vibrational frequency freedom that creates space for the next thing to come through, whatever that is. And it still might not be what we think we want, but it allows the next thing to evolve. Before we get to the final question, I'd love for you to share where people can find you online. Yes. Well, my trainings are all my Center for Yoga Psychology. Again, we have a 300-hour training, trauma-informed training, yoga for mental health, yoga-psychology.co. That is the best place. You can get on the wait list. You can also Instagram, of course, Ashley Turner one and also yoga psychology on Instagram. And then my personal website is ashleyturner.co going through a big, you know, rebrand over there, but you can still go there and get some information. So ashleyturner.co. Awesome. And the final question we ask all of our guests here is what is one way that people can create a life that's better than their dreams and far exceeds all their wildest imagination? Mm. I think it's such a simple practice because we are so bombarded with so much noise and so many other people's expectations or shoulds or the conditioning that turning inward, you know, really spending that time. I was just rereading the law of attraction with Abraham Hicks. And she starts off by saying that, you know, they just instructed her, Abraham just instructed her to meditate 15 minutes a day. And so I would offer that. And for me, meditation is just quieting down, listening, just literally sit with your breath, just literally watch your breath for 15 minutes. If you want to do a guided meditation, you can, but I I actually think it's really powerful to train ourselves to keep unhooking. And it's just a constant unhooking of the thoughts and the and the shoulds and the stories and just keep it so simple to you and your breath. And then awarenesses will reveal themselves. Truth will reveal themselves. You will be more centered, more grounded, less frenetic, and therefore you'll be making choices that are much wiser. So I think turning inward and quieting down and meditating 15 minutes a day. That's what I would recommend. Love it. And then you can tune into those choiceless choices that we talked about today. That's right. Thank you so much for your time and for this beautiful conversation and so much wisdom and so many different areas. I know the audience is going to love it. So I appreciate you. I'm so grateful. Emily is such a beautiful community here. Thank you all so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the I Heart My Life show. Now do us a favor and tell people about this episode. It's truly our duty to make sure that the I Heart My Life movement is spread far and wide. The truth is life can be challenging, but it is possible for all women to love themselves and their lives. And while you're at it, send a link to this episode to three of your friends today, or maybe even post it on social media. Use the hashtag I Heart My Life Show. That's hashtag I Heart My Life Show. And if you'd like to help me personally, then please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us some stars, cheer us on, and leave a review because believe it or not, that stuff actually really does help. And I read all of them. Please remember everything you desire is meant for you and possible. Keep showing up, taking action, and believing in your dreams.